It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. Hey, with an effective character, three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. And I'm James, wired on Starbucks. <laughs> uh, plug, give us money. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, we'll be sharing our experience on the progression of alcoholism in episode 123 of the Defective Characters podcast. Let's go. It's like a a progressive jackpot, but you don't get money at the end. And speaking about jacks. If you count all the money you don't spend on alcohol you get money at the end so uh the last seven days dennis had the busiest and i'm not being sarcastic of weeks so uh, i want you to describe it and uh take us it all started with a dream (sighs) well see the funny thing about it is is although your statement is true i can't talk about it so all i can say is that i'm working on a project with james and I'm learning a whole bunch of new stuff and involved like coding and like all kinds of algorithm coding? type stuff. Coding. Oh. Like coding, like. Cough syrup. Just say it. Cough syrup. <laughs> like binary, zeros and ones. Oh. Um, but no, that's really exciting. So I've been like working hard at that and like learning a whole bunch of new stuff and like whole new facets of like life that I. Not e- that I don't even like, like, like the, but whatever. Um, other aspects of it I really love. So that's exciting. Um, last night I didn't sleep at all. Um, I, last week I talked about how I drank the caffeine and, and my, I asked or talked to Mike about it and he said, you should try it again. Like, just give it a shot. So yesterday I tried it again because they were still in the fridge. And then, like, I drank two of them yesterday, one in the morning and one in, like, mid-afternoon because I felt all right. I was like, it tastes yummy. Um, so then last night I was in my bed late there all night and did not, literally did not sleep a wink. I think I dozed out, like, for five minutes, like, this morning. But, yeah, I mean, it was, like, five minutes before I got up and came to the meeting is whenever I, like, dozed off, but... But other than that, yeah, James had a busy week, too. Hello. I was fixing my thumb holes. And if you don't... She said... My my hoodie has little thumb holes in the arm holes. (laughs) I don't even know how to begin to talk about that. But, yeah, um... I shared that uh, my children were not feeling well when I was supposed to pick them up the day after Christmas. And it was a little, you know, I got the news on my way to work. So that night at work, you know, half of it was just a little, it was down for me. I was just sad, like, oh, it really sucks. But halfway through it, you know, I said a little prayer and started thinking about, like, 
the good things, you know. It was uh, working at Disney. It was all decorated nice. And I was like, oh, well, I'll get to see him, you know, in a couple weeks. And But the good thing about this was that I got to go and visit my parents up north in Nebraska. So that was really fun. And then a week later, I ended up getting my kids. So I got to see them all weekend. Uh, we had a wonderful time. We went to the Magic Kingdom. I paid for fast passes. So I think in all, we rode about five of the best rides in Magic Kingdom. How much are the fast passes? For four people, I paid uh, about $150. So I bought, they're, they're $15 a person. And then for Space Mountain, it was $9 per person, and Mine Train was $12 per person. This is crazy to me. Like, this whole paying for Fast Pass thing is new. And, like, I remember, like, when they came out with the Fast Passes, they, they made a point to, like, have them for free, which was different than what Universal did. So now, all of a sudden, like, you have to pay for Fast Passes? I, I'm not happy about that. I might have to do a fourth step on that. This coming from a man who does not have a job, I can understand that. <laughs> I was happy to pay because I get the tickets for free and 150 bucks for four people. The best part was listening to my boys as we passed hundreds of people to go to the front of the line. That was the best experience. It was so worth it just to pass 100 people and be like, ha, 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 ha. Did you really wave at them? No, but we, we were just excited. When we got to the front line, we were just jumping up and down. We're like, we're only waiting five minutes. And it was beautiful. We ate at Skipper's. So um, actually the trainer, the per- first person I met at Disney – he uh, transferred over to Skipper's. So he was like a Jungle Cruise skipper but serving tables. And he took care of us. And um, we, um, they got to open all their presents. So they loved that. We all sat in a circle around the tree. And then I had the boys pick each other's presents out for them. So You got to have a whole nother Christmas. A whole nother Christmas. It was actually my first because my wife, she does not buy me presents. God bless her. But I love her. And I just decided... I think about three years ago that, all right, she's not a gift giver. If I want something, I'm just going to buy it. And that's it. And actually, it's, it's kind of nice. And uh, the last present I got, I think, was a giant Marvel C. Thanks, Mike. All right, here you go. Hey, thanks. <laughs> thanks. It was a good, uh, good week. I can't wait to hear about this codeine project that you have going on, Dennis. Cough syrup. That's NyQuil? As, as soon as we're done with the podcast, we'll tell you about it. Oh, really? I actually lost interest. Oh. So uh, my last seven days were pretty good, uh, pretty uneventful. I don't know if I share – I shared with Dennis earlier um, the changes that I thought were going to come sooner than later at my work. I uh, was diving into – I guess the feeling of like agitation and irritability that I had over promises of promotion coming and then there not being a time frame and just like it was almost in my head. It was like, what is it? Uh, Roadrunner, you know, when he's like spinning his, his legs going really fast, and not going anywhere. That's what it felt like. It felt like a, that or a hamster on a wheel and I realized that I can't do that anymore because if I'm waiting for that, then I'm not appreciating what I have right now. And if I did get promoted right now when we usually meet and record, I would not be able to do that. That would not be a thing. Monday through Friday, 
my schedule would be what it used to be, which the last two and a half years we've been able to pretty much since this podcast started, we've been able to actually meet up in the morning uh, to record just behind the scenes because that works better for our schedules and it would really be challenging to to find time. So I'm grateful that I've been able to do this and for as ever long as I am uh, working in the afternoons instead of mornings hours, I'm grateful that I can just do that, you know, and I can be there for uh, people that I care a lot about. Surprisingly enough, Dennis is actually included in there. Obviously, you know, James is, but um, I think that's a great thing. So that's something this past week that I've made sure that I'm happier where I am today, not where I want to be tomorrow um, because I'm not in control of that. So that was good. I've got uh, next weekend off, so hopefully they can look ahead and uh, and see a movie that's probably terrible that's out in the, the theaters because I like going to movies. and I, I saw Ghostbusters with the boys. Was that good? Yeah, I think we liked it. They I don't think they've seen the original, but they still liked it. Did you tell them that you saw Spider-Man? Yeah, they had seen it too. Okay. So. Okay, good. So, so pressure's off. You didn't have to lie to them. So that's good. I mean... That's it's always a really tough thing, right? It's tough to like not lie to people. <laughs> uh, something I'm, I I just thought that I'm looking forward to. I'm sure it's going to be like a mess, and in my head, I want it to be all like you know fuzzy, warm and fuzzy. Uh, I got tickets to our Orlando Magic game against the Boston Celtics in February for. Uh, my girlfriend's son's uh, – what is he turning? He's turning eight years old, and he's more of like a sports fan than his older brother. And Olivia will just – she'll just like whatever. So um, we're going to go there. And I looked, and if you're three or younger, you don't have to pay for a seat. So I didn't have to pay for a seat for my daughter. That's pretty cool. So And at the Orlando Magic – no offense to the team, but they're so terrible. Nobody goes. So I don't, don't have to worry about her sitting on my lap the entire time because there's going to be thousands of empty seats. So we could just sit wherever. They so They don't go for Shaquille? No. But fun, fun fact. So the Orlando Magic, they are so desperate to get people in there that they actually, this guy is like, hey, my name is Bill. I work for the Magic. Do you want to buy any more tickets? Can we get any packages your way? We can give them to you for pennies on the dollar. And, like, it was just, and I don't care to see the Orlando Magic even once. This is just, like, a birthday thing that I got tickets. For four people, it was, like, 80 bucks for pretty decent seats. So I look at that as insane. Yeah. You know? That's cheaper than going on rides earlier at Disney World. I know. Who in the heck would do that? Yeah, have to be crazy or name James. Um, so that's that's the last week. Um, and yeah, I, I think we can we can jump into progression of alcoholism, which was a uh, topic that I pitched to the group uh, based on something that I read online, the different stages that I don't think this is in the, the big book. I know, um, James read through it, but it made sense to me. I just wanted to, if you can bear with me for like maybe two minutes so I can describe what I found the pre-alcoholic stage. That's the first stage. 
It's very similar to casual or social drinking. However, slowly but surely, the drinker begins turning to alcohol to reduce stress. The next stage, the early stage of alcoholism, stage where you begin to lie to yourself, to loved ones about drinking habits, uh, even if you don't feel completely unable to resist alcohol, temptation is regularly there. The middle stage, which is really when I know I was off and running, the phase of alcoholism that becomes more noticeable. You may start missing social occasions or withdrawing yourself from situations that don't include drinking or even maybe missing work. And the end stage of alcoholism, the stage most people associate with alcoholism, where drinking is dependence, some abusers will even drink every day throughout the day and struggle to function without alcohol. Uh, as Dennis says, that's the real fun one. That's the one that the stories come from, the drunk log um, that comes through. I know just as far as me and how I started, I didn't want to break rules when I was a teenager. My parents got divorced when I was 12 and on the weekends I was spending that time with my father and I didn't want, I really didn't want to disappoint him. You know, I, so I didn't go to parties on the weekend. It wasn't until really I was uh, 20 years old. And when I hit 21 that I'm like, I'm not breaking any rules so I can drink the way I want to, which was as much as I could possibly get into my body. So I pretty much went from the very quickly when I was 20, the, uh, the pre-stage and early stage into the end stage more than anything else. And that allowed, I guess, me to like jump through a lot of the pain that um, I think people go through of having to like apologize over and over and over again uh, for their drinking. There was, I mean, there's probably more than, than I remember, but I feel like there was f- maybe five times that was like massive where I'm like, I felt like a, uh, like a wounded dog afterwards. And I, uh, for the most part, my wife at the time, it was just her and I that she ha- she had to deal with my apologies and she's like I don't even care. Like the last couple times she's like it doesn't even matter to me. Like I know this this means nothing. But I felt like because those conversations happened my head didn't go to oh maybe maybe I should try to get this under control. It went to well, then I'm going to have to find a way where I can lie and then she won't know that I'm drunk in situations. And I could control it pretty good because I would just make sure that I knew exactly how many drinks I could have. But the thing that sucked was if it was, say, six tall boys within a certain amount of time, the problem was then six wasn't enough. So I'm like, damn, like I'm not feeling that way. So then I would add in another one. It's like, oh, that's too much. So it would be like I was a scientist where I'm like, maybe then I'll just get 
a different type of alcohol and I'll do this and like mixing it up. Man, it was always like in my head trying to figure out how I could get the perfect amount. And I I wasn't able to. The last year, I think there was only one or two days where I felt like like I had it. But it very quickly went through. And like lying, like uh, how many hard alcohol bottles did I put water in the, the Stoli vodka and then put it in the freezer? And there was an embarrassing moment where I forgot that I did that as Blueberry Stoli was my uh, my ex-wife's favorite alcohol. And she brought a bottle. She would barely ever drink, but she brought the bottle and we would never really keep it in the freezer. It would just be in the pantry. But her grandmother passed away and somebody put the bottle in the freezer of the hotel room in the town that the funeral was. And she pulls it out and it's frozen. She's like, what happened here? You know, of course she knew it was me. And I'm like, oh, man, like I tried blaming that the Stoli company it must be watering down their alcohol. And I thought I was pretty convincing, but I don't know. It did, was, did she believe it? <laughs> no, she did not. Yeah, she, she didn't believe anything that I said, like, ever uh, towards the end. But it was, a, it was a tough thing. You know, the progression of the early stages of alcohol to the end, and I think it works the same way in recovery because early on, there were those pink cloud moments. It was like, man, it's great. And still some days I still have those pink cloud moments because I'm doing everything. You know, I will say they never come. Those, those great, great days never come if I don't go to a meeting, you know, and not every day that I go to a meeting, do I have those days? But the guarantee is that I've never had a day that has been fantastic where I feel like I am on the beam Unless I go to a meeting. And the same thing people say, you know, hey, uh, there were some days I got in trouble when I wasn't drinking. Uh, but always, no, no. There's some days I didn't get in trouble and I drank. But always when I got into trouble, I, it was the day that I was drinking. It's like kind of works the same way because it's what you fuel. Um, and I'm grateful today. It's going to be a great day because I'm, uh, I'm sharing on that. So. James, you want to go next and we'll go down the line? Hello, fellow listeners. Let us go down memory lane of the progression of alcoholism, that is James, and the disease. So when I first started really drinking, was probably my junior year. I moved to a small town and we would um, smoke marijuana after school, before school, and we would have keg parties every weekend. And sometimes we drink, but every weekend that was it. We'd have bonfires and kegs, and then we drank and we How drank old were you at and that? we drank. I don't know, 16, 17. Um, and it was just, that was what I did. And I still, you know, managed to go to school. I wouldn't miss school, and I would maintain uh, a 3.8 GPA. And I would go on to go to college. I moved down to Miami. And I continued to drink. I was the only freshman in college with a fake ID that I made on an early stage of Photoshop back in high school. It was such a bad ID, but it worked. These little bodegas in Miami didn't care. <laughs> so I remember the first day I bought like four bottles of Bacardi, just cases of beer, and we would stack it up in the dorm rooms. And, and now I could drink 
as much as I wanted. And um, I added some uh, more uh, dry goods to the equation because I was in Miami now. And that slowly got to the point where whenever I drank, I would want uh, to get a little baggy to go along with it. And um, towards the end of college, I actually maintained good college grades. Um, but towards the end, it was, um, I was starting to get D's and C's. And, um, you know, I was graduating college with real, really no direction in my life. So alcohol, had, it's really started to get the better of me. Um, you know, after I graduated, I, I stayed um, bartending and serving tables because I didn't really prepare for anything else. And um, I had my kids and, you know, every occasion, Thanksgiving, Christmas, kids' birthday parties was just a chance to get a cooler full of beer and three or four bottles of hard liquor. And it didn't matter where I was, I was finding it. And the thing with me is I, I hit a turning point whenever I drank a certain amount of liquor, I would have to get hard stuff because I just – my all inhibitions went out the door, and I didn't have, didn't care where I went to get it, uh, who I called, who I woke up in the middle of the night. I was just dedicated to feeling different, and you know there was no God in this equation at all. It was just feeling outside of myself. And the problem with this was, you know, the harder I drank into drugs, the worse I would feel in the days after. I hated being completely messed up trying to go to sleep because I knew I had to work the next morning and just couldn't fall asleep and just my heart was beating out of my chest and I was miserable um, I told myself I would never do this again and sure enough a couple days later I was feeling good drink a couple beers calling the drug dealer again um, finally I had a second turn of events where my ex got into a car accident and she started taking painkillers and she introduced me to these painkillers and I was hooked and this took me down a deep 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 dark road I was um stealing those from her left and right and um I just I couldn't stop you know this was about two years I went to my first rehab um and pain pills were everything. And when I couldn't get the pain pills, I would um, I would drink. Um, after a while, uh, we we broke up, and I was kind of off the painkillers. But I remembered the alcohol, and alcohol became an everyday thing. Waking up in the morning, um, going to the liquor store before it opened, waiting there, getting those little nips. Not even waiting to get into the car, drinking in behind the bush in front of the liquor store because I had to have it so bad. And I laugh about it now because it was just sick and insidious. And this is where my alcoholism took me, um, not caring about anyone. Um, and um, towards the end, you know, I was really, really sick. I had multiple blood clots, anemic, and I had a bleeding esophagus and I was still drinking and I, I might have shared with you guys you know I was so sick that I would throw up on my pillow take a shot turn my pillow over and go back to sleep I remember sharing that in one of the morning meetings and and Jack he's like I've never heard anything like that that's amazing James <laughs> and I thought I've heard everything <laughs> and um 
you know, then then God intervened. God intervened in a big way. He changed my heart. He changed the way I thought. Um, and and since that intervention of that that spiritual moment up on the mountaintops, I have um, I've really got to change my life and had a new way of looking at the world and the way I thought. And uh, drugs and alcohol are not part of my story anymore. I'm still bartending, but I have a new way of looking at it. Uh, it's something I like to do versus something I had to do. Um, and I'm doing art projects now, which is fun. And, you know, now I can help other people um, by going to meetings, showing up, sponsoring people. And, uh, you know, I replaced drugs and alcohol with God. And, um, you know, I, I stay close to God on a daily basis for almost five years now. And, you know, I'm not seeking that feeling that drugs and alcohol gave me because uh, God fills in those holes. And there's so much out there for God that all I have to do is seek him just a little bit. And he just shows up in, in everything, in my friends and my family and my children, people at work, um, through readings and teachings. God's everywhere. And, you know, having drugs and alcohol out of my system is, is just a wonderful thing. Top that, Dennis. At least you had the sense to turn the pillow over. I would throw up and just like pass back out in it and like wake up like glued to it. Like it was so gross. Um, I don't know. For me, it was like I kind of did all of those like steps that that Mike read out in the beginning, except like I think I did like step three first. I was lying and cheating and stealing before I started drinking, like especially to my family and stuff. Um, what are y'all whispering about? You want to share with the group? No, <laughs> I thought you said you were lying and cheat. <laughs> lying and cheat? Oh no. Um, so I was like lying and cheating and stealing before I started drinking, but I started drinking when I was like 15 ish. And I think I almost like full on went at, at it. Like, if I like the first time I got drunk was not good, I threw up everywhere my parents took me to the hospital because they thought i was ODing on drugs and stuff that was not a good experience but i think like i didn't drink for a while after that but then the next time i drank you know i think i had a good time and i'm one of those that if i have a good time i want to do it again like the next day and stuff so but i didn't start drinking every day but it definitely became a thing that i fell in love with and I actually did more drugs and stuff when I was younger. And the drinking came later when I started quitting the drugs and stuff. But I was definitely, like, hooked. But to me, it wasn't a hook of, like, I need it. It was a, I want to have fun. I want to party. I want to, like, I wanted it. Um, but then that, that phase of, like, was it phase two or whatever, when it talks about... Um, like starting to drink whenever I'm stressed or whatever, I de- like that definitely came about. And that came about like really before me knowing it. It's something that became a habit that it wasn't until years later and maybe even when I was sober that I started realizing it that like anytime that I was stressed, like from work or anything like that or got in a fight with someone, like a girlfriend or something like that, like my solution to that was that oh i'll go get drunk i'll go get high and then i won't care anymore and then life's fixed 
Um, and that was definitely a habit. And then it is, goes hand in hand with the habit of doing the same thing when things are going good to celebrate and stuff like that. It just became a part of my life. And like the social aspects of it was like, as far as like going, not going to places that didn't serve alcohol or wasn't a drinking event, that didn't really matter to me because I just, we would take alcohol to the place. We would have our bottles in the car and our pipes in our pocket and stuff. And like, you know, we'd be at kids' birthday parties and stuff and walk off to the side to go drink or smoke and then come back and play with the kids on the playground and stuff. You know, that was just like, it was just always there. Um, and for me, it was really a slow progression in the sense that like, I didn't notice, I didn't recognize it, you know, all the way up until probably the last couple of years of my drinking, I was still under the mindset is like, oh, I'm just having fun. You know, I could quit anytime I want, you know, whatever. And it wasn't until like, it got really bad when the hangovers were like lasting like three days, five days rather than overnight. And like my skin started getting that yellowishy tint that you get when you drinking every day and stuff that like in my health started going when I realized it, that it was that bad. Um, but at that point too, the anxiety was kicking in and like, I was definitely isolating more and stuff. It was not fun. Um, but I really like what Mike said about how recovery kind of plays that backwards because for me, it really did. When I came in, it was really bad. Like things, when I first quit drinking, you know, if I listen to episode two, you know, I quit a year and a half before I came into the rooms and things got really bad. And then slowly as I, you know, worked the steps, got to know people and stuff like that, it slowly got easier I guess you know it wasn't as painful to go through the day and like get out of bed and stuff but um but again it happened where I didn't really notice it it's like all of a sudden you like pick up a one-year trip and you're excited about it you pick up a two-year trip and that's pretty cool and next thing you know you're picking up a four-year trip and you almost feel normal again you know and it's a it's really cool but um yeah that's what I got Thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Dennis. Man, this is exactly what I needed. Is uh, do you do you believe people when they say that? When they go, ah, oh, that's just what I needed to hear. Or you, they, you think they're just? Believe, I've experienced that before at meetings and stuff. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. I guess I just said it. I don't know. I believe you, Mike. Yeah. I think it's it's important to uh, remember the progression i have a a friend that i've been uh praying praying for just for him to i guess keep experimenting it might sound terrible i went to a meeting with him and he i lent him my one of my first big books recently and he still drink like i i've had to like text him and pull him aside um like on the on the phone pull him aside and be like hey 3 a.m not okay to be blowing up my phone and texting me that like videos of you playing guitar like it's time to grow up and i hate that i have to do that but at the same time i'm just like hey 
keep drinking, keep doing your thing when your world gets tiny enough and you've had enough. Because I know for me, there were people still in my life. Like, I, I didn't lose everything. But my world got tiny enough that I knew the people that were in my life that weren't drinking and everything else like me, they would have been totally fine if I wasn't in their life anymore. And I think even when I got sober, there's some of those people that are like, they're still good, you know, because geographically I moved around so many places. They don't know that there's some change in me, you know, but it is uh, it's really tough to see friends. And I know, you know, uh, Dennis and James probably have those people in their life, too that you can't get somebody else sober. You can't push them into the progression. Um, but I encourage it. The, the more, um, I guess, experimenting, like, yeah, go see if it works. If you think drinking and drugging works for you, go for it. And then when it doesn't, there's, there's this solution. Um, so grateful for that. Any last words, nuggets? Uh, I like your Batman watch. Oh, thank you. Yes. It's all black. That was, a, that was a gift. Nice. Yep. James' wife gave me this. She likes giving gifts, I guess. I don't know. James' wife? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, my girlfriend gave it to me. Oh, it's It's nice. That was just, it was just a joke because we were talking about gifts. No, I know. But, yeah. No, <laughs> oh, I know. Funny enough, the first gift I ever gave my wife when we first started dating was a watch. Was it this watch? It was big like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a... Uh, so she didn't like it so much that she gave she regifted it like years later. It was to pink. Mike. It was pink. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I painted it. I painted it black. So that's that's what happened. So, well, it's been fun. Another episode of the Defective Characters podcast. We'll be back next Thursday, sharing our experience, strength, and hope with episode one twenty four, and. We are the defective characters, entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, huh? Say it, Dennis. Uh, Say it. Alcoholism is a progressive illness. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I would have said, but we'll see you next time. No, that was good. Woohoo! Yeah, that was nice. <laughs>